This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharudin and this is Gigi Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. In this episode, we're going to get to know esports integrated and their role in facilitating the growth of Malaysia's esports scene. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ali Johan and Ofnil Ting. Thank you, Hanif. Here be the news for this week. After more than six months, Cyberpunk 2077 has finally returned to the PlayStation Store. And if you recall, the game was famously pulled out from the store after its poor performance on the console. Uh, and while the game is still currently being fixed uh, with a new patch, uh, there's a patch 1.23 dropping last week, Sony thinks that it's finally decent enough to be reinstated to the store. But they did put a disclaimer, essentially a warning that states, users continue to experience performance issues with this game. Purchase for use on PS4 systems is not recommended. For the best, Cyberpunk experience on PlayStation Play on PS4 Pro and PS5 systems. So for those of you who would like to still give the game a go on your PlayStation console, you can still do so, but just be mindful of that warning from Sony, especially if you have the base console. Uh, you can also check out the Digital Foundry's video on patch 1.23 if you want to make a more informed decision on a potential purchase. Moving on, rumours are going into overdrive regarding a potential revival of a franchise that's beloved by a lot of gamers out there. Fans of Dead Space got super excited recently when there was a rumour that EA Motive, developer of Star Wars Squadrons, is working on a game rumoured to be Dead Space. And Games Beat journalist Jeff Grubb said that the studio is currently working on an established IP revival and he also said that we are going to see it if we're not dead first. Funny guy. A lot of fans have now speculated that Dead here might refer to Dead Space, a franchise that was first released in 2008 and has not uh, seen a new installment since 2013's Dead Space 3. It was previously developed by Visceral Games before the studio was closed by EA in 2017. According to reports, the game will be a reimagining of the series rather than a straight sequel to the existing games and the game will most likely be revealed during EA Play on the 22nd of July, very soon. Yep, this bit of positive news is perhaps something that EA needs as they recover from the hacking incident that they went through a couple of weeks ago. And as for Dead Space fans, is this the news that you're looking for? How excited are you? Let us know. Tweet us at BFM Radio or also get us on WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. And up next, AMD recently released their answer to NVIDIA's Deep Learning Super Sampling, also known as the DLSS, which is an upscaling technology that enables games to boost frame rates and their images without too much of a strain on your graphics card. This technology is called Fidelity FX Super Resolution or FSR, and, you know, while a lot of us are still reacting to it and waiting for more support in uh, more games, Microsoft has now announced that this technology will be making its way to Xbox games as well. They have started previewing support for FSR in its game development kit for both Windows and Xbox. That's right. According to Jason Ronald, Microsoft's director of Xbox program management, he said that uh, FSR was designed to enable developers to achieve higher frame rates and resolutions with minimal work for developers across both console and PC. 
While the uh, technology would probably take its time to be implemented, knowing that it will be supported this early is definitely encouraging. Uh, nothing has been said regarding whether PS5 will also support this though, as both consoles run on AMD's architecture. Nice, nice. And lastly, Valve is now cracking down on those who would like to take advantage of region hopping to get a cheaper price on digital PC games by putting a limit on how often you can change the country associated with your Steam account. From now onwards, you'll only be able to update your account's country once every three months. And purchases can still be completed using a payment method from your current region as well. Uh, I think Steam allows for regional pricing. So this means that the publishers are allowed to set different prices for games for different regions based on the cost of living in the said region. So some of the games are cheaper in certain regions and previously gamers took advantage of it by changing their region to purchase these games at lower prices. Yeah, now you can't really do that. But with Steam having a lot of uh, promotional sales from time to time again, perhaps it's not really a bad thing, right? But do let us know if you do use this hack of sorts to take advantage of cheaper prices for your games in different regions and whether this will affect you. Until then, uh, that's all we have for this week's recap. Back to you, Hanif. Esports is slowly becoming part of our modern lifestyle and as more and more people are warming up to it, whether in harboring aspirations to be professional gamers themselves or being ardent followers of matches and tournaments, it is imperative that a conducive environment is created to allow for the scene to thrive. There are many stakeholders that are working towards that and one of them is Esports Integrated, an agency under the Ministry of Youth and Sports. How do they contribute to the scene and the industry around it? Its CEO Ahmed Faris Amir has the answers. Hi, my uh, name is Ahmed Faris. You can call me Matt. I am the CEO of Impact Integrated that owns um, another initiative called Esports Integrated and many other brands. Um, we are agency uh, under the Ministry of Youth and Sports. So Esports Integrated is an, um, it's a new brand. It was um, recently launched uh, in October 2020. So we are, what, as of today, we are uh, eight months old. The reason why Esports Integrated was founded to begin with um, was truth is to take on some of the work that initially was done by MSN, Majlis Sukan Negara, as well as um, Jabatan Beli dan Sukan, which is JBSN. And of course, there's also another one, which is the Sports Registrar, or called PGS, Surajaya Sukan. So Esports being another subject matter in KBS has always been, I suppose it took them a while to even get into it. Before uh, Esports Integrated was founded, there was also another blueprint. There was a blueprint that was launched by the former minister, YB Said Sadiq, I believe in 2018, which is still very much relevant today. But there was no central or focused initiative to you know, fulfill the mandate in the blueprint. So how it came about was, uh, in October 2020, was thinking that considering especially that the industry is much bigger than however it was imagined prior, and thinking that you know, esports alone is as, could potentially become as big as sports already, although right now it is considered as sports, which is not wrong, but the size and its potential is much bigger than what it is. I mean, if you treat, um, say, football or hockey or basketball as the you know, subset of sports, right? Esports cannot be treated as a subset of sports. Esports is not an equivalent of, of hockey or basketball. Esports is an equivalent of sports. Therefore, an equivalent of tennis, etc., would be Mobile Legends or PUBG, right? And therefore, if you look at, you know, that structure alone, you will understand that there requires a different kind of focus and different kind of attention 
to be given towards that industry. So ESI is a part of a CLBG, a completely limited by guarantee called Impact Integrated, formerly known as I'm4U before Pakatan Harapan's time. Um, so we have a radio station called Rakita, we have Impact Malaysia, we have Pixam, our you know, uh, ecosystem for youth um, entrepreneurs, we have Space Rubik's, a sports complex. So ESI is uh, like the, the youngest child. Um, so how ESI, uh, again, came about in the Impact Integrated Pula, on top of how it was founded due to the uh, necessity through KBS, it was also a good thing because a lot of the folks in Impact Integrated is young. Um, so that's why ESI was, to some extent, a natural addition to it. Our role, I think, to safe to say that we have a mandate to ensure that the ecosystem you know, is catalyzed in order to become more inclusive, more sustainable, as well as vibrant. And all this mandate, we kind of try to make it happen through our core functions, which include building a platform, our hub, a running tournament, um, advocating for a healthier and more ethical um, ecosystem. Um, we run events and eventually we'll look into capacity building. And our strategies is about, you know, on top of, of catalyzing the ecosystem, it's about sustainability and structure as well, and also expanding access. And a lot of the things that we do now, on top of following um, our roadmap, it's also very much intertwined with the blueprint that was launched three years ago. So yeah, so that's ESI, I, I think, as, as a whole, right? Yeah. So, so is it, you know, fair to say that you play the role as a sort of like catalyst to jumpstart or even influence, you know, the, the scene uh, and help out where you can? Fair. So yeah, catalyst is the, the correct term. And in fact, we believe, model ourselves that we are able to be a catalyst. And it's not just esports integrated. I mean, Impact as a whole is a strategic catalyst agency to KBS. Uh, but to answer your question, I think the word jumpstart here may be a little unfair. I mean, that's why there's a difference between building an ecosystem versus catalyzing an ecosystem. Because when we catalyze, that means there's already existing um, life, existing structure, albeit it being a bit fragmented. So the role that we took on is to, from a, from a central position, because we're not just, we don't, we don't function like a government per se, despite being an, a government agency. Um, so the role has a lot to do with, you know, you know, integrating people together, right? And finding the right uh, method and the right tune in order to push the ecosystem to grow a lot faster. So I think jumpstart, yeah, I, I disagree with that. But to catalyze and to work on all the existing stuff, the current fragmented, the missing pieces in order to integrate and to make the ecosystem better, I think that's fair. And you're correct. That's that's why what we're doing. All right. Okay. So it's interesting that um you brought you brought out the word fragmented because I think I've spoken to some stakeholders uh in the industry that has also said that because the esports scene here in Malaysia is still pretty much in its infancy, the you know the way things are run, especially with regard to regulation, for example, is still a bit like a wild west. I mean, that's the, the term that has been used, right? So is that something that perhaps you know esports integrated and also the relevant agencies and relevant bodies will be looking to first strengthen when it comes to i guess creating a sustainable esports industry here in Malaysia quick answer is yes that's one of our main priorities i've never heard anyone calling it a, a wild is it wild west is that what you said yeah but i agree there were some there were some issues um while i'm relatively new to the scene but i know enough about the past um incidents one of it includes some um, say for example um, there was a story about an event or a tournament that did not pay the cash price. There, there, there were plenty. But I think the first thing that we need to address is how, to some extent, the esports ecosystem is very privately driven. And this is very different from the traditional sports, I would think. 
Um, and this is largely due to the fact that esports itself and the games are owned by game publishers rather than you know the public, right? So much. Like, I'm bola. Um, football is then you have FAM here in Malaysia reports to you know international body and then goes straight to FIFA that sort of you know structure um, on the other hand esports for example uh, Mobile Legends is owned by uh, Moonton right therefore it's also quite you know publicly oriented similarly you also have the you know private esports you know organizations or even organizers and the teams are mostly also privately run um, but just because it's privately run does not mean it's it's a bad thing. Clearly, there are there there are pros and cons. But I guess in this regard, due to it being you know privately run, to some extent, maybe profit was a priority rather than the protection of its athletes or the protection of the people, right? Or the sustainability of the ecosystem. Well, wait, wait, that's not true. Surely they want it to be sustainable because so that they can continue making money, right? But point is, there are some some loose ends here and there. And um, granted that. The role of the ministry and the government in general is to come in and perhaps institutionalize some of these things in order to protect people. Well, we, we don't want to get into a debate whether or not, you know, you know, privately run things versus uh, public run or government run is better. Or which are, there, are, there are pros and cons. But I believe that when it comes to the sports ecosystem, there needs to be an attempt to, yes, correct, number one, ensure that the regulations are there and in place and not just, you know, introduced but also to be enforced. Uh, and therefore, that's where the government come in to some extent, not just in, in order to ensure that there's a strong policy and incentives to support the ecosystem a lot more, but also to provide protection. And exactly this is where ESI comes in. But before ESI comes in, there were already um, work done by MSN, our counterparts, MSN and PGS and JBSN in doing so. But I guess following what, how you describe the sports ecosystem, it being at its you know, at infant stage, and therefore, some of these things are still missing. But that's where ESI will work on a lot. I think to be more specific, ESI is now at the stage of you know uh, reviewing together with other government agencies and eventually will work with the Esports Association as well um, on reviewing the, the National Esports Regulation Guideline. And there was some of the wish list in the blueprint that was launched many years ago. And that's Sri American, the current Minister of Eastern Sports, uh, also you know playing uh, an important role in pushing for this. Uh, hence, the launch of ESI. So NERG, upon us reviewing internally, we'll also take it up to the, the other stakeholders, which includes the game publishers themselves, the other event organizers, and um, you know to look into it and see whether or not this guideline is one that can be implemented both from public and the private standpoint. One that doesn't take away the ability for them to uh, you know make profit. One that doesn't take away the ability to be sustainable. One that doesn't take away the ability for freedom and you know, autonomy. Um, but a legal sense and some form of protection. And that's where we come in. And I believe it's a very important priority. And ESL will do just that. I guess if I can just add a little bit more, there's also a platform that we've built and was launched officially um, in February this year, but was already fully developed, not fully developed, I think, in stage one, developed end of last year, which is called isukan.gg. So isukan.gg is our is the national platform for esports. So the platform right now is used for tournament registration, but here's a small beauty of having a platform like this. You know, imagine how when you start using an app, for example, right, and you have to you know, agree to a PDPA or any other form of um, laws behind it, right? And you immediately agree to it. Similarly, that's what we're applying here in Iskandar.g. This is just a small example in which when you become a tournament organizer through Iskandar.gg, you have to go through the process of ensuring that you know who your players are. We also want to know who you are as an organizer and we will put certain guidelines that they will, to some extent, bind to upon agreeing to run the tournament through Iskandar.gg. And this is one of the like I said, the small examples that we have, and we'll do a lot more of this in ensuring a better protection 
a more regulated tournament without infringing upon the freedom and autonomy of game publishers, right, to be introduced. Yeah, and that's that's something that we will do quite a bit. Mm. That's very interesting considering that you have to build relationships with, with game publishers, right? And like you said, I mean, they have their own interests as well, but at the same time, it's about um, meeting uh, each other halfway, right? To sort of like, I think, come up with an agreement that's beneficial for both parties. Um, it's interesting to be talking about sports and to be talking about um, private entities as well, right? Because I think game publishers also have their own agenda might sound a bit sharp but at the end of the day they, they have their IPs to protect as well right so so yeah how, how do you navigate that, that relationship considering yeah how tricky it can be okay I I can relate to being you know a business person because I was once I still am uh, now the point I'm saying is I understand what it is like in the end I personally don't find it difficult to navigate between balancing the rights and the ability for private entity to make profit at the same time for government to be able to you know, push through its initiatives or even agenda. I don't think that word is, is negatively, has a negative condition in this context. So both have their own agendas. In balancing it, I guess it's a lot to do with understanding the mutual benefit that both parties can obtain here. So from the private point of view, I mean, sure, they get to, you know, attract. And as it stands, the ecosystem has was already built and, and this is largely due to whatever that drove private entity. And I think they're doing a good job here. But they do need the government as well. And I think in this regard, examples that I can throw in here would definitely be a policy, for example. Um, so there's a budget for esports. So this year, the budget is 50 million. Previous year was 20 million. The previous year was 10 million. So there's really a budget. And a budget that is given by the government means a number of things, which includes acknowledgement and recognition, which includes um, some protection, which includes attention from the government. And this budget will also lead to policies. And the policies that I mean here that could very well benefit the esports entities that are private in nature could very well mean, you know, incentives or tax breaks eventually. Uh, but point is, there are things that the private entity can, can benefit from the government. On the other hand, government also definitely do not want to lose out, you know, to the private entity and not be involved in a growing ecosystem such as this. Um, I mean, if you look at the numbers now, there are 20.1 million social gamers as of 2020 in Malaysia. That number, of course, is not all unique. Probably it's a combination of, of different you know, social gamers from different platforms perhaps, but still, that's a big number, right? And um, that number alone clearly has exceeded the number of youth in Malaysia today. That, that is about, what, 14 million? And that number, well, that's what, 13 million less than the number of population. So point is, it's a big uh, ecosystem. It's a big industry. So for the government to not be here and not to try and facilitate you know, to the needs of the private entity, that will be in a loose end. On behalf of Esports Integrated, we are good at this. Not having the bureaucracy of a government. I mean, we have our procurement policy. We have our governance that we abide to. While I'm not, you know, that's not my favorite subject, but I believe that it's a very important thing to ensure that there are you know, proper check and balance. So we have our program policy, but it's not as rigid as a government. I mean, of course, they have their you know, things that they need to protect. So what I'm trying to say here is we are more flexible, right? We are more accessible. We are younger in a sense. And similarly, the people that we employ here in Impact Integrated are not civil servants. So they're not 
PTDs perhaps uh, per se, they're not people who went through that background. We come from the people who are involved in the scene, you know, ex- experts in their own respective fields and have a right skill set and networking. Point is we are in a strategic position to be working with the private entity. With me at the helm, I believe that we have been able to navigate that very well. So no, it's not an issue. Clearly, there is a perception coming from the private entity, macam government coming in, you want to do this and that, trying to regulate and stuff like that. Granted, right? So that's why I try my best to uh, ensure that the way we approach it is not one that is very top-down. So I don't want to pretend like we are here to govern or to regulate as much. It's either we come in as a central player, right, and work with them, hand in hand, meet in the middle, and um, to be more precise, it's about, I, I guess, I have to repeat this, it's about the integrating. And we have a policy and we call it integrations policy, and there is no better way of doing so but to be a central player and find room to work and meet everyone in the middle. That was Ahmed Faris Ame, CEO of Esports Integrated, sharing the organization's role in helping the growth of the esports scene here in the country. Let's go for a short break. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Gigi Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. Joining me today is Ahmed Faris Amir, or Matt. He's the CEO of Esports Integrated, a national initiative that's set up to create a vibrant and sustainable esports ecosystem here in the country. One way to ensure our ecosystem can be sustainable is in making sure that we have the infrastructure that can back the scene up. But how are we faring on that front? Where are we with regard to um, infrastructure, Matt? I would like to think that maybe um, we're still not there yet when it comes to infrastructure. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, that is fair. And um, if I can assume what you mean by infrastructure, you're not only referring to, say, a building where people can come and play, right? We're talking about internet speed. We're talking about, I suppose, right? Yeah, exactly, we're talking yeah. about access, access in, in principle. Um, but I guess in regards to infrastructure in the context of a building, per se, that's uh, one of the key mandates for esports integrated. In fact, we are in the midst of building the national esports hub here in our sports complex in Puchong. And MSN also has built a number of satellite esports centers. Um, they call it CASA, uh, like a small, small spaces for esports. Um, but nonetheless, this infrastructure uh, are currently being developed. But at the same time, if I could just balance out a little bit, that I, I know the general public also don't necessarily feel that there is a need for a, you know, for a physical building for esports. I mean, there are many things that we can do. Surely they don't see it that way. These are mostly the uh, feedback coming from the social gamers because they believe that, yeah, I can just play, you know, I can participate in an esports tournament or play a game at home at the comfort of my own home without having to be elsewhere, right? Uh, but of course, these are people that can you know, afford or are privileged to be able to do so. There are also many other people that don't have the luxury and probably have to go to, you know, sub cafe. Uh, but at the same time, it's also a good thing that the esports scene now are largely dominated by the mobile gaming and therefore it is more accessible so it's, it's easier um, so point I'm saying is while there are um, different perception and different point of view of whether or not the infrastructure should be improved because we are doing just fine uh, but we are working on it and like I said earlier we are building one ourselves in, in uh, our sports complex and MSN is working on it as well and there are also enough infrastructure I suppose not I, w- I shouldn't say enough there are already infrastructures that have been built by many other private entities uh, which include Esports Business Network one in Quill, um, City Mall, then there's one already um, built by a couple of other developers. Thinking of the you know the, the, the needs of the, the general public. In regards to infrastructure, I think there are things that we can do a bit more. As for now, I think Singapore kind of um, is leading in that sense. Um, 
I mean, we have some of the you know, game publishers located here, but perhaps the infrastructure here in the context of accessibility perhaps may not be as great. Uh, I think that is eventually something that we can speak on a policy level together with the likes of MDAC and um, uh, many other agencies, right? In seeing a holistic approach of ensuring access is there for everyone from infra punya point of view. So we are not too behind and we are working on it currently. Uh, but to say that we are at a level where we are ready, can and then um, maybe not so. But there are many things that, that needs to be done. Uh, I hope I've answered your question, Hanif. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah, but but that's a very interesting perspective, like talking about uh, question of access, because I think the esports scene is, is so nu- nuanced in that sense, and, you know, and it's very fragmented in terms of it depends on the kind of platforms that you play on and also the, the kind of games that you play, right? And I think you're right in saying that the mobile platform has made the, the scene more accessible, but at the same time, I'm sure that these these players must also be supported, and that that's one aspect of the question. But also the aspect of so creating more esports player on the other side of the platform as well, right? Uh, you also want uh, more players to be more involved on the PC platform and also even the console platform, right? So um, while I guess mobile has made it a bit more accessible, people still perhaps need to own a PC, you know, and a, a PC that's I guess decent enough to to be gaming on, and that also applies to even consoles. So how do how do you plan to bridge the gap between these platforms, right? Uh, is there an imbalance, and, and is that even a problem? Let's say there's a I guess a high imbalance between, you know, you have too many players on on the mobile scene, but less players on the PC and console platform. Um, Hanif, you've answered some of your questions. I, I like that. It, it, it feels like you're giving me some hints. <laughs> anyway, so you're right. There is an imbalance. I mean, while it's good that mobile gaming makes it more accessible, but at the same time, it kind of leaves the PC and the console punya gaming, and we don't want to discriminate. And clearly, esports integrated also has a duty to ensure that there are enough push for the PC and console. Because if we're talking about it from esports excellence. Um, standpoint, which is largely um, the mandate of MSN because they are the one that deals with the high-performance sports. So ESI will not be involved in the C game selection. That's between um, Majusuka Negara together working with the National Esports Association called NESF. So that's their duty. But in, in regards to the ecosystem, ensuring that there are enough talents, and that, that falls under ESI. So to answer your question, there is an imbalance clearly, and that's due to how much a PC and console can you know, how expensive it can be and not many people are, you know, privileged to be able to afford one. So the hubs that we are building, which includes the National Sports Hub in Puchong and eventually many more satellite hubs and currently the one that MSN has is currently working on and has launched a few. These are the places and the infrastructure that government is uh, investing into and to allow for people who are less privileged and uh, in ensuring that there are enough talent pool to be in the PC and the console gaming scene. Uh, rather than just focusing on mobile gaming alone. But to some extent, I mean, in the end, this all goes back to, you know, the it's a free market, right? There are market forces behind all these things. I mean, if the PC or like even PlayStation now, there are, I've seen recently there's rumors about them going on mobile as well. So because people are perhaps, you know, moving towards mobile and similarly game publishers are also then investing and moving out of that scene or perhaps investing less, right? So all this is really up to the free market. The forces behind it will naturally decide as to where it will move towards. But no matter what, since there are still competitions in PC, there are still gamers in the PC and the console realm, we will continue doing whatever we possibly could to support them. And upon um, you know the changes of the market, we will you know do something similar and, and keep up and uh, do whatever that is needed in order to ensure that we remain relevant and that our well, I suppose from an esports excellence standpoint, once again that we are at the top. And in Malaysia, I mean, I'm very proud to say this, that we are doing very well. 
we are a powerhouse in some of the big games in the world today. I mean, at least if I were to name two examples, just, well, unfortunately, both are mobile gaming, both PUBG and, and uh, Mobile Legends. We, we are doing well. We are the top few in Southeast Asia. But let's not forget, when it comes to the PC game, Dota 2, we won, right? The, the international in uh, 2017. Well, that was like, what, five years ago? Four years ago? Um, I'm sure we can repeat the same. We've done it before. So with a bit of push, I'm sure we can find a good balance between mobile PC and console. Not necessarily equal balance because that's really up to the, you know, the preference and the market. But some balance will be drawn and we can do that very well. Mm. It's interesting that you're, I guess, working towards building a, a very good infrastructure, but also doing it in the middle of the pandemic. Because I think, the, the like, for example, the idea of, you know, setting up a hub, as much as it does make sense, these days we have to also take into factor how people shouldn't be gathering in, in a, you know, in a, in a closed space and things like that. So, so how much has the pandemic affected the, the plan to, I guess, make this more sustainable? And, you know, have you factored in or included the idea of, you know, adapting to the new normal as well when it comes to, you know, executing these plans? My answers will be layered lah, because the pandemic has pros and cons, right? We'll try not to romanticize uh, the pandemic. But as for uh, esports specifically, it thrived during the MCO period, right? Um, not pandemic per se. So during MCO period, at least last year specifically, many esports tournaments and events were able to be run smoothly. There's some production work somewhere in a studio. We can gather, but with a limited number of people. So it thrived to some extent last year. I mean, as you can see, there was a trend uh, and the numbers were increasing last year and a lot more people became either a social gamer or an esports fan and started following, you know, esports um, media platforms and whatnot. So in that regard, ecosystem is, the esports itself is doing well. In the context of infrastructure, surely it's difficult. Um, but I think this is, there's no better time to work on the development while we can't move around. Okay, wait, uh, there's a difference between the PKP and lockdown because until just a week ago, we were able to do everything we were set out to do for esports. Um, we were about to launch the inaugural Malaysia Sports League. No, not launch. We were about to start the Malaysia Sports League until the lockdown came and we thought that we couldn't because otherwise it was, we would have been run decentralized, you know, in every state in Malaysia but requires some, you know, gathering at the production house. But the players also have to assemble in, a, you know, other places, but perhaps like five to ten people in one house. But that cannot be done due to lockdown. So that was halted. And the development, of course, also was halted as well. Uh, although we were planning to complete the development by end of the year. But right now with this lockdown, that may be delayed a little bit. So I guess, in other words, conclusively, the, there's some, some of these things were, um, you know, affected due to the lockdown. During PKP, it was doing fine. But looking at how things are, it will be affected. Lah. But to answer your other question is whether or not we are adapting to the new norm. Definitely we are. Uh, but I guess in a new norm where everything is under lockdown, I don't think the new norm also can function very well. I mean, um, a new norm that we were, I suppose, building towards are some form of a hybrid, you know, less gathering, maybe like even a let's say a forum is done not fully virtually there's still some people on ground but most of the people are watching it online you know a hybrid but to be functioning completely in a lockdown that may be a bit difficult so therefore infrastructure i suppose it doesn't have to be as well but we'll find ways and, and we always do i guess at this point safe to say that i'm optimistic about our ability to work around whatever that is coming our way i mean i don't think this you know pandemic and the control movement will end whew, another one year i suppose I'm hopeful that it will end earlier, we'll reach herd immunity. So whoever that is listening at home, please, you know, vaccinate yourself. 
All right. Um, let's move on to overcoming the cultural barrier, quote unquote. Um, I think, like it or not, I think to a certain extent, the society has opened up to the idea of um, gaming as a viable career path. Uh, but there's still a larger segment of the society that's pretty skeptical of the idea as well, right? So, is this something that Esport Integrated is also looking to? help out with um, for example I mean not to point fingers to any specific generation but I think sometimes there is still a generational gap between I guess perhaps parents and kids right when it comes to esports especially right first answer is yes that's also one of our mandate um, one of the core functions of esports integrated is to advocate and in fact in the esports blueprint and our roadmap there is one thing specifically about ensuring there is a good, healthy and ethical gaming. And when it comes to ethical and healthy gaming, it's not just about the pro players or the social gamers, it's also how they are treated. Um, so our advocacy core functions also includes bridging the gap between, I wouldn't say necessarily the older generation, but I would say those who are not already open to esports or gaming and those who already are an esports player. And also there are some people who are in the middle, lah, kan? Um, people at other fans. So a quick answer is yes, correct. That's what, what we're doing. But I think this is one of my favorite topics, to be honest. And to answer this, I guess, you know, it's a good time to remind the listener that I'm a Gen Y. I'm a millennial. I'm a 33 years old. And I was, I was this generation specifically, were exposed to some level of, you know, some, some fast internet. But growing up, we were still, we still had to wait for jaring kan, to dial up. And it wasn't as, it's not as fast as it is now. Uh, at the same time, we were also, Playing, you know, football dekat jalan raya depan rumah kita, kan? And then um, we were still very much physical. At the same time, there are, there are things that we do. We also game. So we were exposed to both worlds at the same time. So, and we are privileged and we are lucky that we were, you know, we born in that era, in this context. So for those who were not born in that era, right? And who always felt that it has to be physical activity. It has to be outside. You have to do this, not understanding. Um, I, I don't think it's... Okay, so... I will, again, I, I think I agree with you. This is not about pointing pink fingers. It, this is about the difference in, you know, the upbringing, the difference in terms of the culture, the difference in um, uh, acceptance, right? And all these things, there's no better way to do it other than through education and towards uh, all three parties. And let's, uh, if I can um, reiterate, we're talking about people who are already in uh, or interested in the sports scene and those who are against it or not into it and those who you know, are neutral about it. So in dealing with this, all three parties need to, to some extent, come to a consensus. And, and there's no better way of doing it through education. We can do it through awareness and advocacy. Um, but if I can maybe do a bit more. At this point, not just esports, right? Anything would have a fan and would have someone who is against it. There's no singular activity in this world that would have everyone loving it, right? Except, you know, eating, I suppose, but there's still people who don't like to eat. The point I'm saying is, it's normal. So in doing that, we educate and we advocate. So for example, right, ESI, when we launch, when we launch, um, the first video that came out, our teaser, wasn't a teaser that was heavy with gaming and animated characters and robotic sound, whatever. We don't try to pander towards that end. The first approach that we did uh, when we launched, the first teaser that came out was a teaser that was a drama about a number of people in different areas doing different things in regards to esports. One is playing game, one's organizing, one is you know starting up a company, stuff like that, right? And they also come from a different background, one in a kampong, one living in a, an apartment, one is out in the field, stuff like that. So the drama approach was our intention. It was it was intentional in order to bridge a gap. Meaning when we went on live, we wanted to be clear that we come from a world where 
there is a balance, right? We are not going to be fully heavy invested in the esports scene and look like we are also very gaming or very esports e. Yeah, so that was our attempt to bridge. And as for now, before today, I've spoken on you know multiple platforms that I know for a fact had a lot of non esports enthusiasts, and the language therefore that I would use would be less esports, but more about you know getting them to understand that this is the it's no longer a phenomena; it's a culture and. Fortunately, this culture, this industry also can ensure a sustainable future for Malaysia and also for your kids. But, and I also make it a point, and I don't just remind this to um, the people that are not open to esports, also for esports, that balance is always key, right? No matter what happens, you must do something physical. You cannot just, you cannot just be stuck on your couch playing game. That's unhealthy. And that's also what uh, the Ministry of Youth and Sports set out to do. Because otherwise, they will also be seen as a, as contrary to whatever, you know, the, the mandate that they do. I mean, well, KBS, can, they should be propagating and cocketing a, a healthier culture. So that's why KBS then find a balance between encouraging and ensuring that esports can flourish at the same time, reminding them to be physical. And so that's one of the things that we're doing. And currently, a lot of um, esports celebrities are also starting to, you know, become more physical as well. And they also are advocating and that's where ESI coming in. We encourage more of this conversation to happen. And I guess precisely that's what we're doing here today, right, Hanif? Hope I've answered your question. <laughs> um, but how important is it to also introduce to people who have aspirations to become, like I guess, for example, a uh, pro gamer to also think about the um, ecosystem around the scene that is also important and perhaps they can consider, you know, branching out into these avenues and not necessarily uh, become a pro gamer, right? Because um, on one hand, as much as you want everyone to have that aspiration, it's also important to somehow open their eyes to the fact that, you know, there are other things that you can do in esports scene rather than just be a pro gamer, right? Because at the end of the day, you don't want an oversaturation of, you know, people aspiring to be gamers only, right? That's also important, right? You're absolutely correct. That falls under our core function to to do capacity building. Um, but even before talking about that function, I think if I can add, an, an industry or an ecosystem cannot um, rely upon one party alone, right? Even in a football scene, I think let's just draw a parallel here. Football is massive, right? And um, that's a, I mean, it's been there for many years. And in the football industry, you don't just have the players. I mean, when it comes to the high performance, there's the managers and the coaches and the investor, and they also rely heavily on the fans, right? So, and that equation alone reflects and shows that there are more than just the players, right? And in a game, there's 22 players, but there are more people surrounding them just to ensure that one match, in one match, there'll be many things that happen. And that is applicable to many other scenes, be it the tech startup, be it a business. The businessmen don't only have the CEOs, they also have many people and not just the ones that are thinking about business, but also the support, um, uh, you know, the, the fun- other functions from HR to tech, right? And, and many, many more. Uh, so in esports specifically, I mean, it's the same and there's no difference. There is a need for esports to rely on many other people as well. And um, industry don't just rely on the esports players. And I also believe that at this juncture, there are many fans out there that don't aspire to be a pro player, but just love it as a sports and they are, take it as a you know a spectator um, show. What I'm getting at here in regards to the function that, that we have, which is capacity building, is that we believe in order to ensure that the ecosystem is sustainable, more people should be brought into the esports scene. And clearly, we're not only talking about esports players, we're talking about many other support functions, or I, I don't think it's fair as well, any other functions surrounding um, the esports players. And even b- beyond this, the high performance sports, we also have the event organizers, and therefore, an event organizer 
in esports would function similarly to an event organizer of any other industry. Let's say an event organizer in a you know in a, in a music industry or event organizer in the wedding industry, you will require the same group of people in esports. The only difference is that your subject matter is different. A graphic designer who can design a T-shirt, right, or you know a poster of an, a singer, for example, will have to do will have the same skill set but we'll have a different subject matter. And this is applicable to many different things. So therefore, the capacity building that we're doing here through ESI, which we haven't initiated yet, will go into specific parts and necessities of the industry from you know high performance to the to the other roles to a most uh, expertise one, which also includes the game developer and designer perhaps, right? And um, the lawyers who, are, who will be focused into the esports scene too, there, there will be needs for that. In fact, they, there is now. And many more. I think I can go on, but I guess I've already proved my point that there is a need for it. And in fact, ESI and KBS, we look into it. And for solely in order to ensure there is sustainability for the industry. What about streamers, Matt? Because I think streamers, to a certain extent, they're not necessarily competitive. So I don't know whether they necessarily fall under the esports category. Uh, but at the same time, they also play a huge role in popularizing, you know, to a certain extent. Maybe indirectly popularizing these games for people to sort of like take up and learn and, you know, exposing them to all these games. But at the same time, their role is slightly a bit more of an entertainer, right, to a certain extent. So um, will they also be supported or can they even be supported under esports integrated even? Yes, they can. And in fact, how do I say this? So I guess in hosting an event tournament, right? There will always be not just event tournament, esports tournament or events or even promoting our hub eventually or even promoting our national esports regulation guideline, right? There will always be uh, an urgency for it to be um, widely spoken or marketed. So that element is always important. I think you're right. I like how you describe them as an entertainer. I mean, other than the esports athletes, the streamers are also uh, the popular ones. And they work very closely with game publishers in a way. Well, maybe not directly, but they are the ones that are popularizing the, the games that they play. So you're absolutely right there. And how streamers fall under ESI is that they are the influencer, right? Other than the uh, esports athletes, other than uh, the streamers are our mouthpiece. And they deal with the their own community. They have their own communities, and they interact with these people. And therefore, they are rightfully a stakeholder to esports integrated. So they play a, an important role to you know the games to themselves as well. They earn quite decent, just like any other YouTuber or any other you know content creator out there, be it uh, an Instagram influencer or KOL or someone who writes for a living, becoming a uh, or, or or host of an event. So that's just how it works and all of this naturally are part of um, the ecosystem and as ESI is mandated to look into the ecosystem and therefore they also fall under our purview to some extent but has there been any specific program for them uh, or to create more streamers uh, none yet but we do engage them quite a bit uh, and at, at this point it's largely to ensure that there is a strong marketing promotion uh, and generally just because they are one of our many stakeholders all right. Okay. So what are your future plans moving forward? Okay. So the future here, let's not waste time to talk about what five years down the road. And you're asking me from the point of view of Esports Integrated CEO, is it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So structure will be our our key. I think for now, um, the other day we were very excited about the, the first, the inaugural Esports League. Um, because I think I'll say this very proudly that there are many other traditional sports that have not had their league just yet. But Esports will have a national level league very soon. And in fact, we're ready to kickstart, but the lockdown kind of halted that plan. 
So the league is one thing. And last year also, we hosted the first ever um, national level championship called the Malaysia Esports Championship, MEC. We just recently hosted our esports integrated um, conference. We run a few esports integrated challenge online, in which we, you know, brought in either streamers or popular athletes, or we match popular uh, and top-notch teams as well. And we pair up with, you know, other non-esports celebrities, stuff like that. So just to make it more vibrant. Above all that, we, as I mentioned, we've launched our eSquan.gg and I think quite a lot of focus will be there because that's where we are able to provide a better definition of what a structure can look like. So for now, one of the key parts of esports is running the tournaments, of course. I mean, many more. But when it comes to tournaments, for you to host it, you have to get two different licenses. One from a game publisher, another one from PGS, Surajaya Sukan. And currently, both methods are rather, I suppose, you know, are fragmented. So the plan is to talk to game publishers and to onboard them so that, uh, and also for BGS, which is our, you know, fellow um, sibling in, in the KBS, therefore it will not be difficult. Point is to allow a more centralized platform so that it is easier for people to run a tournament. And this process to facilitate is being done by ESI and with the sole goal of ensuring that more access is provided, not only for social gamers, not only for pro players, but also for people to run more tournaments. And like many other events, naturally can bring in more people. And that's part of the many ways to ensure the growth of the ecosystem. So I guess when it comes to the future, I think we will continue working on everything that we have initiated. We'll continue talking to, you know, um, Hanif, more Hanifs, right? More BFM. Um, the future and we've had two shows that we've um, also within this short span of eight months we've um, launched a documentary on esports together with um, EG Network on the Astro and we had a you know talk show we can do more in doing so so all this foundation that we laid uh, out kind of um, already naturally moving towards a proper structure especially the isukan.gg platform so we'll continue doing this and once we have uh, expanded locally and properly and provide the access and we look into regional expansion. And for example, next year, um, if everything goes right, we will be the host of the Mobile Legends Southeast Asia Cup together with Mobile Legends. We can definitely talk to Tencent and host a PUBG Mobile and therefore then go out you know, beyond Malaysia. So all that is part of the pipeline. And I think everything that we set out to do in the near future or even five years on the road are things that we've already initiated. So everything that we are doing now are things that we will continue to improve and perfect, you know, years down the road. You've been tuning in to GG Well Played and that was our guest of the week, Ahmed Faris Amir Ahmed. He's the CEO of Esports Integrated, a government-linked initiative that's planning to create a vibrant and sustainable esports ecosystem in Malaysia. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, you can find the podcast on pfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin Thanks for joining us Game on and stay safe Till next time GG Well Played Thank you for listening to this podcast To find more great interviews Go to bfm.my Or find us on iTunes BFM 89.9 The Business Station